Hello and welcome to The Naked Scarf. I'm Adam. I'm Andy. And I'm Steve. And in this episode we're going to be looking at The Trial of a Time Lord, parts 9 to 12, Terror of the Vervoids. So, Andy, give us your plot synopsis. Um, Colin Baker turns up in a floating hotel with Mel, who we're never really properly introduced to a backstory at this point, and, and 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 that's probably a big mistake because she's definitely one of those people that you need to understand before you can begin to accept. And anyway, or hate, hate, yeah, hate, hate, hate is a good word. Um, yeah, and, and you know, Honor Blackman is uh, slumming it on this uh, spaceship. Also, she spends most of the episode wearing a tracksuit, which upsets me greatly. And um, she is a professor, though, so, you know, yay, female empowerment. And, and she's been breeding these planty things that kind of take over the ship and, and, and kill some people and some people kill some people and lots of stuff happens and and I still don't understand how any of this is relevant to the trial that Colin Baker is going through and oh my brain, my poor aching brain, Adam, you're such a trial of a time Lord Nazi. Because um, I made you watch it, yes. yes. Um, I think you're using Very the word upset. Nazi wrong. Uh, well, uh, first of all, the Doctor, in his trial, chooses the, an adventure from his future to show everyone. Now, the implications of that are staggering, if you think about it. It indicates that all future Doctor Who episodes were in the Matrix. I mean, why didn't he show uh, the Doctor dances or something, where, where everyone lives? That would have been a better defence for him, rather well, than you know, the good stories. Why everyone then where the only people left alive were the stewardess and the captain and a few security guards? Why not show an adventure where nobody died? Well, like I say, the thing is, is that what the uh, Doctor stands accused of is meddling. And so the Valiard has shown some obvious examples of meddling just very slowly and boringly. Um, over the past uh, however many episodes. And then the Doctor tries to prove that he doesn't meddle by showing an uh, episode where he was actually eventually asked to help, even though he blatantly engineered some events in there. And I was kind of saying, like, do while we were watching it, you know, that that is pretty much the equivalent of having someone say... You know, uh, yeah, you know, it's this, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious of this uh, paedophilia thing, but uh, I, I was invited to go along on scout camp one time. And um, yeah, it's, it's just ridiculous. It's, uh, the, the thing with this episode is that there are a lot of big words thrown into it, and it's almost like they're trying to make it sound more intelligent, which, you know, Pip and Jane Baker, you're not fooling anybody. Uh, and, and yeah, but it completely undermines it by having a completely ridiculous, illogical, you know, trial going but on. Seriously, if the Doctor, if all the Doctor's future adventures are in the Matrix, no joking aside, that means every Time Lord's future is in the Matrix. That means Time Lord already are on, a, pre their own future. Are on a predetermined path. It, it's really actually, in the context of the programme, it is staggering and destroys any narrative sense. And it's just a throwaway line. There is a theory, I have had a theory, that these Time Lords are actually from the future of Gallifrey. That's why they've got the Valiard, who's the twelve and a half Doctor and things. But it's oh, but that, 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 that's, that's a retcon people have had to put in an attempt to explain it. Otherwise, the implication for Gallifrey and society is that they just they know what to do already because it's there. Do you know why that theory depresses me? Because it's a very depressing determinist... determinist 
No, because it implies that some people have gone and thought about Trial of a Time Lord after they finished watching it. And nobody is actually obliged to do that. I'm, I'm gonna Apart g- from me, because, you know, Adam is a Trial of a Time Lord Nazi. Stop I'm going I'm, to Stop arguing, children. I'm going to come in with... <laughs> You've already worked out your role why I invited you onto this podcast. <laughs> I am William Hartnell of the Three Doctors. <laughs> um... You're, are you a dandy or a clown? I'm trying to wear that. Which one I wear velvet jackets, so I think you get to be the clown. Don't look at me like that. Carry I'm, on. I'm saying nothing. Some good points about the story. Mm. Mel is the first companion since Romana, who mm. actually seems to enjoy being in the Doctor's company and isn't whining about going home all the time and complaining, which is quite refreshing. It is. It is. She's very get-up-and-go. Yes. Even if sometimes you feel she should get up and <laughs> yes, but... leave. Yes. <laughs> but um and also it's nice to see a sort of a a relatively conventional Doctor Who story with some monsters and a confined location and all but the usual sort it... of tropes in the midst of this ludicrous trial where the last thing we've seen is is bald Perry and Brian Blessed smashing through walls. Yeah, but I prefer Brian Blessed smashing through walls and bald Perry because this yeah, you're right, it's very traditional, but like so much, like I've kept saying on the other um, I've read other episodes we've done about the, this entire story. It again just feels a little stale, like Doctor Who by the numbers. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And uh, you know, even the way the ver- there's six vervoids and they all move in a bit bit of a crap manner, and you're just and, a bit and like talking West Country accents. Yes, country. I mean, it, it's worth pointing out that behind the scenes, everything had basically gone to shit by this point because Eric Saywood had 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 had, had walked out in a huff. So there's no script editor, and no script editor with Pip and Jane Baker is fatal. I mean, I, I've been watching, um, I watched Time of the Rani recently for my new blog, which is, you can find at don'tbesuchacoat.blogspot.com. Um, <laughs> Advertising. Nice, a nice little plug there, I thought. Um, and it, it, it's fact, even then, where there's not technically a script editor to later, even having Andrew Cartmill come in late on that, their dialogue isn't quite as ridiculous as it is in this story and it is ridiculous he's like the last time i met the doctor i ended up in a web of mayhem and intrigue (laughs) and are all time lords vocabulary so anti-deluvian is it i don't even know what some of these words mean i'm doing an ma not very well admittedly but i'm doing an ma and i don't know what half these fucking words are (laughs) the dialogue is so clunky it actually feels like pip and jane baker are assaulting you over the head with it in fact i've got half a mind to take them to court yeah, it, it is lawyers like... for you. Phone them up tomorrow. Hi, I've just been forced to sit through trial of a time lord, and we got to the part where Pip and Jake, uh, Jane Baker came in. You know, you could actually. Uh, I, I reckon that could be section twenty GBH. Or possibly, harm, or possibly Article 9 or 7 of Gallifreyan <laughs> Law. <laughs> yes, again, Gallifreyan legal systems, where at the end, the Valiard just changes the charge that the, the, the doctor's facing midway through a sentence. Oh, we were charging you with, now we're charging you with that. Even though technically this wasn't a trial, but an inquiry to begin with. I mean... Could you imagine... It is, a, it is a little like the Leverson inquiry escalating to a genocide war crimes <laughs> trial. Yes. Well, Mr. Cameron, we were going to ask you about your relationship with, with, with Rebecca Brooks, but actually we'd like to charge you with genocide. 
you know, I quite like the idea actually of, of taking a, a, a drama. I know I mentioned it before, but like you know, judicial drama, Judge John Deed or something, and making it quite as meta as Trial as a Time Lord. What you basically end up with is something that is so meta and ironic that Judge John Deed would be sitting there wearing huge plastic framed hipster glasses, and just yeah, it's. Uh, but, but I mean, because the dialogue is laughable at times. I mean, genuinely laugh out loud funny, but when it's not supposed to be. But also, there's a lot of the plotting's a bit lacks. Like, the half-mutant woman doesn't, isn't actually a plot point. She's there for a cliffhanger, and then she just gets killed two episodes later. She, she serves no role. Particularly given the... that she's got that sort of rather good mutant makeup. Yeah, it looks like she's yeah, turning yeah, into a posing, and, and you think she's going to play a part, but no. She goes, <gasps> and then she just turns up, and then she dies, and then that's it. And also, like the security chief goes evil in the episode four just to pass some time. It's like, oh, we've got another ten minutes to fill. Uh, if you if, if you got evil, then we, we we can just keep going. And it's like, oh, really? I think I've just come up with another Trial of a Time Lord-based drinking game. Well, you, you know, you can get quite a few out of there. But, um, yeah, basically, what you have to do is... Um, Drink every time you lose the will to live. <laughs> No, what you have to do is after every line of dialogue, you have to think to yourself, that's what she said. And if it does sound rude, then you have to take a shot. I reckon you would end up so drunk so quickly. But we did end up saying it felt a little bit like it was a porn film with the fucking taken out. And like everyone was, well, the settings, the locations do look... Yeah, and none of the lines, but they're so ridiculous, of, yeah. they feel like they could lead to sex in a desperate attempt to distract them. And everyone has a sort of dead-eyed look about them. <laughs> 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 They've seen the hundredth cock for the day. Or Bonnie Langford. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I think the trouble was when um, when I said this could be a porn film at that exact point when the characters went big fruits and it was like oh, oh dear uh, yeah you've got on a black man you make her wear a tracksuit for, for uh, most of the and episode. then you give her a line drawing attention to, to her tracksuits <laughs> and, then, and then you have her cycling ran, uh, several times on the screen which is weird but also okay so this is Mel's first story now obviously this was them attempting to be I hate the phrase, but timey-wimey before timey-wimey was a thing. But, of course, because of then Colin Baker getting fired, they could never give her an introduction story on, on screen. And it screws her. And it's not Barney Lankford's fault, to be fair, on that, that example. But her first scene is her bossing the Doctor about on an exercise bike. And it, it's such an almost cliche what you imagine Barney Lankford doing, you know. It's, I think it's, it's quite a fun introduction for a companion. Uh, I mean, it's... I, I guess, but it's just so... It's not as bad, it's just it's what you'd think Bonnie Langford would end up doing as well. They don't try and write her as anything other than Bonnie Langford. Well, you would also have thought that they could have eased her in with a, a, a better introduction outfit, quite yes. frankly, rather than the tailored, you know, pale banana yellow suity thing. thing that looks like a jumpsuit with the, the blue princess theme concoction underneath and, and just that. Oh. And You'll be laughing on the other side of your face when you're wearing that in 2014. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, seriously, if I could take the indi- individual components of the outfit, then I could possibly do something with them, but all together was a big mistake. That That is your challenge yeah, for yeah, the actually, fashion episode. We will we'll put pictures of it up. <laughs> oh, oh, I you... challenge you to make a decent hash of a Bonnie Langford outfit you know right now. Do it. I challenge you, officially challenge you, to, 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 to take a Bonnie Langford costume from a story of your choice and uh, make it into fashionable and look good. You know I could do it. And, you know, we know someone who looks like Bonnie Langford a little bit, so we could ask her to model it for us. We should say no more. Oh, God. The, the, the music, Malcolm Clark. Now, Malcolm Clark obviously is perhaps most infamous for the Sea Devils, 
and which does the Sea Devils music does work at times, and other times it doesn't. But there's definitely times when it, at least he's doing something weird and interesting. And then he comes back and he's like, "Oh, shock!" And, I, and this music for that's quite good. But here, there's lots of what sound like musical comedy stings, like the doctor does something. He goes, "Ba ba 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 ba." And you're like, that's the Doctor. Usually accompanied by a sort of a close-up of Colin Baker pulling a, a sort of ridiculous expression. You uh, know, I, I think my favourite comment... Like during, Harold Lloyd or something. No. My favourite comment during the episode was when you when we were watching it and um, Colin Baker does the thing of pulling flowers out to the receptionist and you just went, fuck off, Coco. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine, like... <laughs> well, this is the, one of the things I really like about this episode in, in a sort of perverse way is the fact that it's so mundane. It's just the goings-on. in the For the first ten minutes, it's just the goings-on in a space hotel where someone leaves their luggage in the wrong room and the receptionist sort of annoyed receptionist having to deal with this irritating comedy customer. And it feels like it feels like if you cut out all the Doctor Who stuff, it, w- it would essentially be Crossroads in Space. And I would watch that quite happily. Because there are a lot of corridors. I yes. mean, a hell of a lot of corridors. And there's carpeting on the walls at one point. Is that, I didn't notice yeah, that. Yeah, the scene where, where, um, where the Doctor's saying we're flying into a black hole, which everyone already knew... Um, yes, there's, that, there's a crashing one Colin Baker, and there's this beige carpet on the wall behind him. Yeah, the end of episode three, where, where there's several shots clearly establishing they're flying into a black hole, and instead of cutting on like on the shots of the ship going into the black hole, they, they then cut to another twenty seconds or something. Going, what's happening, Colin Baker? Going, We're going into a black hole, and you're like, really? What really? Oh well, that's uh, I my, didn't. My that's my other favourite sort of mundane hotel and space moment is when the waitress has to deal with the two difficult alien customers, and one of them just smacks the coffee. Yeah, 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 yeah got coffee, got smack, <laughs> and he's like, "Sorry, he's like, fuck your coffee, <laughs> Earthling." It's um, marvelous. Um, I can't even remember what they called them. I wanted to call them more games, but that that's more Morgarians. Morgarians, yeah, something like that. And also the Doctor's racist moment. Where, where he goes, um, where, where he deduces that one of them isn't an alien because he doesn't speak English. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe they're not capable of producing the English sounds in their mouths. Possibly, possibly. It's a bit of a reach. Because <laughs> otherwise, we're pretty much saying, uh, over the last few episodes, we basically said Colin Baker's doctor is a corpse-throwing racist. And, uh, yes. It's, it's, it's an interesting... To tell you the truth, I, I doubt that English should actually be spoken that widely in the uh, great universe. I'm surprised that uh, people aren't speaking more alien. But actually, it also screws up, and not that Doctor Who has a continuity, and I'm ha- quite happy with that, but the whole idea of the translation circuits, but that's actually been always a bit dodgy. But it's established episode. before we meet the Doctor that the that the Morgarians speak alien and have yeah. to use translators. It's a little conceit. And anyway, the Ood. So the, yeah, um, Ood and... Um, uh, well, even in like the war games, even though that's way before it's mm. especially established, you know, people are speaking French as you realise speaking what not what they're actually claiming they're saying. I mean, this entire thing basically tries to be Agatha Christie in space, but without the sharp plotting. Yeah, a, a point that's rammed home when she's reading Murder on the Orient Express at the beginning. I <laughs> don't don't highlight your deficiencies. <laughs> yeah, this is the story we're trying to steal from. <laughs> It'd be a bit like every time uh, River Song turned up, she was reading The Time Traveller's Wife or something. I mean, to be fair, I don't mind Doctor Who taking other people's stories and doing them because it's always done that. I mean, that's what the Hinchcliffe years are. You basically mm. sit down and go, hmm, this reminds me of this classic horror film or this classic, you know, that's fine. And even like, like I said, uh, River Song being The Time Traveller's Wife, I, that's fine. I, I'm happy to see that in Doctor Who context. But if, if you're going to have somebody reading the mode of the Orient Express, try and do the Orient Express and then Fuck it up. Actually, one, one of the things I quite 
like about the episode is that in episode one, all of the actors seem a bit more comfortable with the material because they, they know that they're in a murder mystery setup mm. and it hasn't quite gone completely insane yet. So, you know, that, that, that for, for episode one, fine, we, we know what we're doing here. It's, yeah. You know, that he's the professor who, or the, the, the old guy who spots the, um, yeah, the imposter and all that. The usual sort of bag of the Christie tropes. And that works yeah, reasonably yeah. well. Yeah, no, it starts off, you know, pretty straightforward. And actually the Doctor being brought in by the Captain is pretty clearly a reference to almost any Poirot or yeah. Miss Marple, which oh, is yeah, also an interesting little inversion, actually, when you get the, the Doctor's actually asked to be there by someone who knows him already. Although it doesn't quite explain why the Commodore then acts like a complete dick to him for the next two episodes. <laughs> well, he probably because he's met him before. <laughs> <laughs> it's that thing, isn't it? Because he meets two people that he's met before, and of course, obviously, this is the Doctor's future. But you do want to work with Pippin and Baker, hoping to, if Colin Baker continued to write those those stories, I think that's possibly they, crediting them with too yeah, much foresight. Probably. But um, it's just that weird thing of it. Kind of, it's almost like instead of having to use a psychic paper, where the Doctor goes, "No, you could trust me." They just go, "Oh, he's met him before." So these are the but it's one of those slightly frustrating things about the the eighty stories is that as well as doing incredibly continuity heavy stories, they also do episodes that refer back to a continuity that we haven't seen, like the the third Doctor's visit to Carthel, yeah, um, which which just serves to confuse the casual viewer. Who's I, guess. I mean, it can work. I, I would argue for somebody who works in Curse of Fenric, but that's because that's going for a slightly more mythic mm. thing, and that's kind of explained. But in this, it feels like characters you do think, oh, do they appear in an episode that I miss, and and it. Not that I really want to talk about Time Lash, but you would be, if, this, if you were a casual viewer, seeing that, oh, was this an actual episode that happened? You know, I just thought of something really depressing. Do you think that Pip and Jane Baker are like the Doctor Who universe as equivalent of, say, Ted Hughes and Sylvia Plath? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. I, I really wanted to explain that. <laughs> Um, like you know, uh, 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 a, a couple who uh, uh, encourage each other to uh, to you know and, and collaborate and, and and put out some. Um, well, I don't know. Does Jane Baker put her head in an oven? Um, no, she dyes her hair from DVD documentaries, uh, but that's not quite the same thing. But no, I don't think you can really compare Ted Hughes and. Uh, no, in the Claire. in the context of the Doctor Who universe, and let's face it, that gives us quite a. Uh, you know, a lot of artistic but license. Not that much. <laughs> no, near that much. <laughs> I mean, Pip and Jane Baker. They're, they're these. They are these. They're. I would say the weird. That sounds rude, but they are. They they come up through the like the Jerry Anderson stuff, like uh, UFO. I think they used to write for, and it does feel like they're another generate a previous generation. Even when they're writing for Colin Baker stuff, they stand out because they feel very old fashioned. Mm. I think. Yeah. Um, in, in in some ways, I kind of like the fact that this is a bit of a throwback, this story, but it, it, it does, as you say, feel a bit like Doctor Who by the numbers. But given that we've watched eight episodes of Lunacy before this... Yeah, I know. I, uh, it's not... I mean, I mean, I, it, it is a little unfortunate that they, they write as though they're just throwing darts at a thesaurus. Oh, yeah. The, the, the dialogue... See, like I said, I think, given the script editors buggered off, they're just given free reign and it really shows because it is like I said it is ridiculous when there's work I mean there's not, I've got nothing against people using uh, a good vocabulary when you're literally going I don't know what that word means and I think I've got a good I'm quite well read I you know you're like well you you've just screwed up haven't I think you? it's more it's more the never using you know one word where 10 will do yeah thing is is a little bit annoying but um 
Thervoids. They're hatched on the ship, presumably so they're newborn, yet they understand how showers work. And they know about bridges on ships. They seem very well informed and educated for a creature that's just been born. Well, that just makes the Doctor's act of genocide all the more terrible at the end. Is it? Yes. <laughs> well, how do we feel about the Doctor committing, apparently, genocide? Well, I'm, I'm more concerned with the implication at the end of the story that if he'd killed all but one of them, it wouldn't be genocide. And that it's only because he wipes out the entire species that it counts. So. I mean, well, to be fair, I, I guess they, it would have been even clunky even for them for the Valley to go, because you wipe... If you wipe out everything but two, it's genocide or something. You know, you, you can't have him stop and go and explain all the. Illegal. Well, I think that technically, if if you just uh, like you know from a bit more human point of view, um, if if you just wiped out all but one of them, then it's unlikely that that one would be able to reproduce. So that would kind of be genocide because that would mean that the whole species. If you left two of them, uh, and, and but they and, don't. Fuck, do they? I mean, the plants. They have vaginas for mouths. Yes, but that's just uh, a Freudian nightmare. They have vaginas for mouths. They have legs and arms and vaginas for mouths. I know it says that they, like, you know, live off of uh, uh, sunlight and water, but it doesn't say how they reproduce. Maybe they've got little alien penises. No. (laughs) I presume, well, the doctor says if one leaf had fallen on fertile soil, they'd have grown. So, presumably, it's something like that. Self-reproducing in, in in some way, or maybe I don't they're know, big alien they're incubated in pods, which seems quite womb-like. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's an amalgamation of the two processes. It is, it is more Freudian than than Giga's alien, isn't it? it, is, it well, yes, yes. Uh, it's a Freudian that, nightmare. But that, I'm but, sure that Freud was having an orgasm in his coffin when this episode was d- broadcast. Just to check, we're not about to make Sigourney Weaver male comparisons, are we? No. Good. No, Sigourney Weaver and, and the security officer. <laughs> <laughs> no, because the security officer's crap at his job. He must be... What would he be? Because he's the traitor, so he's Ash. He's... He will get... Yes. <laughs> Do you fear him turning traitor is almost as random as Ash is a robot? <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, though not nearly as well done, I should point out, as Alien did it, um, before we get hate. Email. The hostage situation is resolved in quite a perfunctory way as well, isn't it? They just <laughs> slap like, the gun out of his hand. <laughs> it's like, yeah, words won't just do it. <laughs> uh, um, what else? Uh, I really hate Trial of a Time Lord. Another sort of wonderful space hotel moment is the emergency in the waste disposal unit. <laughs> Everyone it runs. Sounds, it just sounds like a blockage in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> runs another sonic plunger and uh, another reason just to re-edit this story and remove all of the monstrous elements and <laughs> uh, you, you just you, you just think if you if honestly if you were choosing a story for your own defense why would you go for one where you killed a, a basically or an alien race and so many people died it's never explained why the doctor thought that would be a good example <laughs> you know it's not like well maybe in his head he did yeah did he not? Could he not just chosen the story where he hang around on a planet and nothing had happened, which would have made boring television, but more sense in uh, yeah, an episode where he just goes fishing or fishing, something. Yes, or an episode where he did manage to sort of save the day, or one of those little sort of flashbacks from Doomsday where they're just hanging out on the planet of the alien fish or something. <laughs> yeah. That would be good. Uh, have more you, data Is, this, is this the cue for me to do my Dalek impression? No. Because also there's the black hole, and I like the idea that they, you could re-edit Impossible Planet just to feature that ship going past at one point <laughs> as they go plunging into it. 
Um, another thing that I would like to address is that, bizarrely, this is an episode about alien plants where Perry isn't there and she's a botanist. Yeah, it's the one episode where that's going to become super useful. People tended to forget she was a botanist. So actually, to be fair, not Pip and Jane Baker and Mark of the Rani, they make reference to it. And uh, yeah, it is actually, that is actually referenced to a few times. So actually, they probably wouldn't have forgotten, to be fair. But generally, it's not... Addressed, yeah. An awful lot. Like, like a lot of background for companions, you know, it's kind of... Like the fact that Mel's a computer programmer, yeah. for example. Megabyte modem is literally the only reference we get, and that's an inaccurate, bizarre one anyway. Because it, it sounds more like she swears... Oh, we're we'll jumping ahead of ourselves. Like, trial of a time log. <laughs> but it does sound like megabyte modem. does sound like a swear word. You're like, oh, megabyte modem. But it's, it's a very, very odd idea to just plunge into the middle of... Uh, an adventure with a companion that we've never met before and have them act incredibly familiar to is an interesting idea. And then they've got but... like weird things where they try and stuff in bits of information about her, like that bit at the end where he says to her, Oh, you know, think that you're in your little cottage in, in Pease Pottage. Yeah. And I'm like, And all the oh, memory of an elephant stuff. Well, there's that, that's that very awkward leaving scene where it feels like the, the, the annoying guests at a dinner party just won't go <laughs> away. God, we're tired. Did I ever tell you about the time that Mel and I did this? And oh, I'm so tired. He sings, you know, just fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's died. Just please go away now. Yeah, it, yeah it, everyone's died. I'm about to be court martialed for stealing cargo. Okay. <laughs> yes, could you please just go away, <laughs> Have some fake flowers. Fuck off! Um, yeah, this is it. I mean, if, if things hadn't been going so disastrously wrong behind the scenes, they might have been able to do something with, with Mel and that whole meeting her out of order. If there was Stephen Moffat or John Nathan Turner wasn't in charge or anyone, it's just... It, it's an interesting idea done at the wrong time in the programme's history when it couldn't... Admittedly, they didn't know how bad things were about to get with the sacking of the Doctor and of Colin mm. Baker and everything. But it's just so it just means it's an interesting idea that never gets to be explored. And I think she was supposed to get an introductory story, introduction story in season 24, apparently. That was the idea. But Which seems doubly confusing in an age before... Um... Mass consumption of sort of um, of DV or DVDs of VHS yeah. um, because it's not as if people could watch the stories again. Yeah, it's not like now we'd say even with River Song you can watch the story in order. Well, the, where, where, where those stories are, are designed for um, people who are watching on, on DVD or you know they're, they're designed with an awareness in the back of your mind that these shows these shows will be watched again, again and again, again and again. again. Back then, it was essentially disposable telly. Yeah, but... if you miss it, you miss it. Yeah. Of course, the thing that I find quite funny is, of course, the, uh, the you know male new companion turns up, and of course, the the doctor um, acts very differently towards her uh, compared to how he did towards Perry, and 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 that's strange. You know, it almost feels like out of character for the doctor because you don't know any of their backstory or how this has evolved. It's, it's just like you know. And but you can understand why well, there's a slightly different relationship because, as Steve said earlier, she wants to be there. It's obviously wants to be there. But Perry was always a bit like. I can't do that in an American accent, but like like a sulky teenager. Who wants yeah, to so I can. Well, I always but... wonder actually why they made just completely off topic, but why they did make Perry a botanist because that is just about the most annoying word that Perry could ever say in her accent. Just think about it. Think about it now. Imagine it. Terry's just thinking silently about it. it. Doesn't make good podcasts. No, but... it doesn't make good podcasts. But everyone else can imagine it too. And and I don't know why, but that just you know. Are you are you suggesting to our American listeners? And I know we have some that them saying botanist is annoying. No, Perry saying, saying botanist. botanist is annoying. Not Americans. That that, that that's an entirely entirely different, different thing altogether. 
yeah, that, that that's like uh, that's like me saying, you know, all, all Americans have annoying accents based on uh, my uh, idea of American accents all being like Tommy Wiseau's. <laughs> I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, God, we're making room jokes. <laughs> Someone's trial of the time is the equivalent of Doctor Who's The Room. In fact, you could show it and people could... Uh, you could you could edit them together. <laughs> set, so, so does that mean so, that uh, so you, you could you could cut to to twin dilemma with with, with, with Perry being strangled and then cut to, to I did not hear her. I did not. Oh God! No, we're not doing room jokes. I'm so sorry. No. Does that mean that we could you throw know, garden furniture? At the yeah, screen. yes. <laughs> please, please. Um, the set dressing in that story is just extraordinary. It's just this. It's just this beige mid 80s sort of travel on the spaceship looking sets actually that that the lounge all was hideous really? and everyone's dressed hideously and Honor Blackman is a very angry woman in this what, what I actually, with no eyebrows inside I, out eyebrows what I, that's, like they shrunk into her face like a penis what <laughs> I don't even know anymore I'm so tired what, what, what strikes me as um as, as quite entertaining about this story though is the fact that you have all these people in sort of futuristic sci-fi space uniforms and they're all sort of balding paunchy men I quite like that it's always something <laughs> it's, like, it's something that American sci-fi would never ever do <laughs> that's what well yeah I mean that's what I always quite liked about about the original run actually of Doctor Who is that because of how BBC cast their programs at the time it always tends to be older actors they're not you know, and I'm not. I'm not going. Oh, it's all young people today. But yeah, you're right. It tends to be older guys who have lived a bit and stuff. And and it it's, it is more. I mean, it's actually it this, this, seems, this seems to be a holiday cruise. So it's basically a saga cruise. I can't help but think of the Billy Connolly thing, which which a joke, which is a cruise is is like prison, but with the option of drowning. <laughs> it's um, it, but you can literally take this with any sort of like uh, British TV show that's ever been made into an American thing. Like the example I gave earlier, the uh, Red Dwarf pilot that they made uh, in America starred Craig Bierko. Um, who is an incredibly handsome guy who was up for a role in Friends, and um, he also once played Jessica uh, Sarah it's Jessica rabbit. Park. No, sadly not Sarah <laughs> Jessica Parker's love interest in Sex and the City. So I'm sure that probably means that you know he's very good looking. But uh, think about any other, like even The Office. You know, over here we have Ricky Gervais. Over there we have uh, is it Steve. Carol. Well, the most extraordinary example recently is the IT crowd where they did an American pilot with Richard Ayade still cast as Moss. So it seems like some sort of weird fever dream. <laughs> <laughs> so Moss, because I haven't heard about it, I didn't even know they'd done an American pilot. So Moss is the same, but yes. everyone else around him is distinctly yes. more attractive. But That's they're saying the same line. This, this actually. This um... <laughs> actually. It's really funny for some reason. You're right. It does sound like Moss having some kind of weird dream. Like, like they'd almost cut it into a normal episode of the IT crowd. <laughs> this has, uh, like, actually happened a lot with the uh, Red Dwarf pilot. It, it never ended up uh, getting made for uh, various reasons. Um, but they were sort of saying that in the end, um, because originally the only uh, uh, cast member from the uh, English series that they transfer, uh, uh, sort of put into the American one was Robert Llewellyn, who played Crichton. Um, but they originally cast an American guy as Rimmer and um, after the pilot was shot and everything they went back and reshot it and they tried to get um, Chris Barry to go over there and be Rimmer because they said they couldn't find an American actor with a low enough opinion of himself to play Rimmer <laughs> so can I just get back to the IT graph for a minute does Moss have an American accent in it no. Is he, so he's just doing, so he's literally playing it as Moss with the English accent, surrounded by attractive Americans saying the same line. Yes. That blows my mind. We're going to find it on YouTube. It yeah. is 
Yeah. But anyway, anyway. Anyway, back uh, to Doctor Who. Um, let's drag things back on topic. I, I don't know if there's much more to say about this, really. I, I mean, it's... Yeah. It's, it's profoundly... Actually, on the subject of the sets, I know some of them are hideous. Some of them are quite good. The cargo hold set is quite good. The... Mm waste disposal unit is, is pretty good you know can I just say the most effective member of that crew before he was killed was the waste disposal uh, <laughs> operator who managed to actually kill a vervoid which none of the security guards seemed to do as was pointed out to us one security guard when, when faced with them has a gun in his hand <laughs> and seems to try to go for his phone obviously to take a, uh, an Instagram picture to post on Facebook there's also the two aliens playing the uh, retro computer game. Oh yeah, Space Invaders turns up, but that's probably them just. No, it wasn't uh, Space It's like Invaders. Xbox Live, you know. They're just going for the classic arcade game yeah. option. <laughs> um, I think we've said everything, haven't we? Yeah. Is there anything more to run say? Run this donkey into the ground. I don't <laughs> think that's a saying, but it is now. Well, no, I think Pip and Jane Baker had done that before we even got our hands on it. That's true. Well. Uh, yeah, okay, I think I think we're done. So, as always, if you want to contact us, you can get us on email at nakedscarf at gmail.com. You can Facebook. find us on Facebook if you enter the Naked Scarf. We'll, there's, a, there's a group we can join. We're on Tumblr, nakedscarf.tumblr.com. We're on Twitter, at Naked Scarf. And before we go, I just want to double-check something. It is actually my own blog address, because I'm that... I want to make sure. Oh, yeah, I gave it. Sorry, ignore my earlier um, blog address for me, which I'm promoting here. It's don't be such a coat. Dot um, Anyone else want to shamelessly promote anything they're doing? Uh, no. <laughs> it's just me then. That's fine. So uh, we'll be back with our look at the final part of Trial of the Time Lord, the Ultimate Foe. Yay! I would say yay, but we've still got two episodes of Trial of a Time Lord to watch. But they're, they're the good ones. They're the ones where Anthony Ainley turns up. Yay! <laughs> and okay, like so, an old friend. so we'll have lots of pictures of cats. Yes, yes, our favourite Doctor actor looks a bit like a cat will be returning in our next episode. So, on that note, folks, goodbye. Bom, bom, bom.